be seated. You know, um, some of the great um, pre-reformers, some of those guys like Wycliffe and all these guys said, emerged in history at the right time to make significant contribute, contribution towards um, the Reformation. Some of them belong to a group called Lollards. And Lollin means to sing softly, like lullaby. It probably was characteristic of the group that they sang in low tones in their home groups and underground churches. Other songs, songs of the Spirit. There's something about singing in the Spirit, that soft tone of human voices blending and agreeing and singing in the Spirit. You've, you've heard me before, not, not, not just free worship as a sort of a, a guitar jam moment, but free worship as in allowing the Spirit to soar and to communicate out of the gift of God within us. And you know, in many circles of the faith, what I've just said would have zero comprehension, no understanding, because the liturgy, liturgies and the, the written um, have taken the place of the freedom moment of allowing the Spirit to soar and sing. Um, we, we all have a liturgy, so liturgy itself is not an evil thing, but it can be substitute. I, I many years ago, um, in my art history, when I went to art school and I did this special course um, of, in terms of entering that particular college, and um, I did art history and I studied the rise of Christian art. And uh, right from the um, very early um, time of the church where they painted little watercolors, little frescoes on catacomb walls and places where they were hiding and worshipping, uh, very simplistic little, if you like, cartoons of Jesus and the disciples and many of the gospel stories. They, they were not icons, so to speak. But in the rise of Christian art, um, eventually they developed iconography. And um, then years later, um, I did well at Bible college for some reason. I never did well at school. But Bible college had a, an evening meal attached to it. And, and Patty went to Bible college. We were single. And a lot of attraction in Bible college. But I did so well in Bible college and had a, a real interest in church history and read and read. And eventually, as I went through four years of college, they asked me to take a course which was essentially church history from a restorationist point of view. And the point being showing that what we had in the beginning got lost on the journey, but God particularly, observably, particularly observ observ 
immediately from the Reformation on began restoring back into the church things that were progressively lost. And so we had a little saying, the first truths lost, sorry, the, um, yes, the last truths lost were the first truths restored. There's a little pattern. So your early church, I'm going somewhere, I'm talking. This is, don't, 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 don't wait for the sermon. It's quite conversational tonight. But um, so the early church, if you followed the Hebrews 6 pattern of the elementary doctrines of Christ, repentance, faith, baptisms, which is a plural, baptism in water, baptism into the Holy Spirit, and baptism into the body, um, uh, eternal judgment and resurrection from the dead, or the other way around. And... Um, and then it says, let's go on to maturity. So there's seven of them, maturity being the seventh. And um, if you look back in history, the consciousness of those latter ones got, get lost. The idea of even that the faith is maturing, that, the, that God is taking us somewhere in this life, in history, in the purposes of God. We're not just a static church of interesting-looking people who are loving Jesus um, waiting to get out of here. And, and if you try to find the goal of God in the New Testament, there's, there's nothing about us aiming to go to heaven whatsoever. Heaven is only spoken of rather scantily, not that it doesn't exist, but it's a consequence of the faith. But it's not a goal. And so, you know, something gets lost in, in, as we go along because we'll sing, you know, heaven's my goal. Well, you know, virtually, as some of our, especially our country and western style gospel songs, you know. And uh, I got a mansion just over the hilltop, you know, and we're, we're pining and longing but for, for this goal. But it's not, but that in the early church, it wasn't the goal. You find so much of the goal of God written in the great Pauline epistles where he was able to do something for some reason that the other apostles um, who had walked and talked with Jesus, who interpreted Jesus in his humanity and interpreted Jesus in, uh, uh, in all those dimensions of his love and his uh, atonement and salvation and, and all that he did, Paul comes along and adds this concept of, of the people of Jesus, being the expression of Jesus in the world and that we are growing into something and that we were going somewhere. And he talks about the matured church, the, the perfect church, the matured church. He talks about um, the manifold wisdom of God being declared to principalities and powers. And he starts to project this idea that, that uh, we're not waiting to get out of here. We have not found the bus stop and, uh, you know, it's coming. The bus is coming and we're going. Uh, he, he, he was literally saying, come on, kids, come with me. We're going somewhere else. We're, gonna, we're going to impact the earth with the glory of God. And then, of course, all of that gets based on marvelous prophecies in the Old Testament that they find a whole, whole new meaning about the glory of the Lord covering the, the face of the earth and, and so on. And so wonderful, wonderful expressions were, were there in, that, in the early church. And they understood uh, eternal judgment. They understood that the church, you know, that Paul even said the church would judge um, angels and, and whatever. I don't, I don't understand how. I don't get it. But um, 
You know, he, he says, you know, you know if, you, if we can't keep ourselves together and, and uh, whatever hell, we're going to judge angels, you know. Um, you know, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that's the deal. That's the deal. But we lost that. We lost a vision for the church. We lost a vision for the purposes of God. We lost um, a concept of, of uh, eternal judgment. We lost the concept of resurrection life. We, we, we backed down on things. And, and eventually we lost even, we got confused around baptisms as history evolved. And, and you know, we came down to the essential, water baptism. But then we got really confused about that one. You know, is it believer's baptism? Is it pedo baptism? You know, child baptism? Is it, you know... You know, and 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 so we, we were we were gradually regressive in the list of truths, and finally we didn't even talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit anymore. You know, and yet all the way through history there was amazing. You know, you read some of the story of Joan of Arc. You read the stories of the Huguenots. You read the story. There were amazing groups that had amazing encounters. And, and, and we were from a Pentecostal perspective. Go, oh, there you are. There it is. It's rising. It was in history. The river never stopped flowing. It just sprung up from underground every now and again, you know. But in terms of the general, the, the liturgy took over. And where we could sing in the Spirit, we had no singing in the Spirit, so we had a, a great Gregorian chant to create the mystical atmosphere. The singing in the Spirit filled the atmosphere, not with a mysticism, but with the presence. But when that was gone, you've got to do something about we, we, you know, a cathedral on its own is a very cold place. Now, they're beautiful if you're an architect or an artist, but they're a cold place. They're lifeless. But once you get the echoes going of a Gregorian chant, one of our most favored things to do when we go to Italy is to go to Monte Cassino and go up to the Benedictine monastery around four o'clock in the afternoon. And the, you don't even see the monks because they all come out and they go into little cubicles all down, you know, in the chapel of the church. So the chapel isn't another little sub place off the church, just the main front, you know. And you're looking up into the chapel, but you can't see the. But then they start up like this. I play dominoes better than you. My father taught me how to play dominoes. Well, I. Patty was a Catholic and is a Catholic. You're once a Catholic, always a Catholic. <laughs> but we lost the presence. And history rolled on. So around the time of the Reformation, little things were happening in the spirit. Lollards were lolling. Softly singing personal songs to Jesus. Things began to break out. And the last truths lost, salvation came alive in the Reformation. And as we progressed, we, we, we got baptism sorted out. Thanks, thank you, Menno Simons. Thank you, John Smythe in London. And we got... Holy Spirit activity happening. We had a funny little guy called George Fox in leather pants. You know, the lederhosen. Oh, man. The Germans are to be blessed for their beer, their cars, 
but just keep them away from fashion. <laughs> Leave that to the Italians, who also make good cars. This little guy would wear his little leather pants and turn up in the city squares and would preach these really galling messages just like John the Baptist that would stir the ire of the establishment. And if you went back with George Fox to his meetings, there were people sitting around in circle, waiting. But it wasn't a boring silence. It was a, a leaning into silence. And they waited and they waited. And something would touch somebody. And they would start to connect with the person of the Holy Spirit. Now be going like this. And across the room, Aunt Bertha, who couldn't move an inch in her 102-year-old state, would also be. And across the room, George would be shaking. They got kind of laughed at. They called them the Quakers. You know, would that the Quakers would quake today. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? People connected with the Spirit. And then in, in my, I love looking down at my notes now because it says my battery's got 9%. This could be a shorter sermon than you've ever had. <laughs> I thought I had that thing loaded. But in my art history, I found the rise of ornate art and iconography and statues consistent with the demise of spirituality. Now, this is not against art because I'm an artist. But this is just saying how the age of substitution came in. And we began to worship the forms and the liturgy took over. And there's an economy... And there's a strategy in the Holy Spirit. And the economy is if we don't honor him and embrace him and love him, he steps back. You know, we can use other things. The dove flies away. <laughs> the goose goes to his perch, the goose of the ghost, if you remember the message. But the strategy is we get hungry. And we get desperate and we cry out. And we have a Wycliffe. We have uh, the Huguenots. We have people down through who cried out. Said, this is not enough. And when they're reading the word, we need this faith. As it was in the beginning. As at the first. Think of that statement through your prophets. As at the first. As at the first. Jeremiah says, the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride. Uh, as Restore it as at the first. The voice of the bride singing and the voice of the bridegroom singing. The writer to the Hebrews picks it up and he goes, Quoting the psalm, he says, Christ will sing in the midst of his church. Wow. You mean 
When the Spirit liberates and we're singing in the Spirit, the prophetic element overlays in our, in our worship and we're no longer only singing to Him, He's singing through us. And the house is filling with a presence like we never could believe before. There's something about this. There's no, what we substituted with beautiful chants and ornate this and that and priestly functions and incense and nonsense and bells and smells and all these things and filling the, filling the space. When once God himself filled the space and you didn't need a cathedral, you could do it in a home. The church could meet in a catacomb. But the presence was there. The amazing presence, the feeling. Yes, you felt God. You know, the only thing is, you know, as we get down the track of history and we come up with reasons and we say, well, it's by faith, not feelings. And so then we cut out the whole human experience of God. Other than by faith, you trusted a word and you got saved. But most of you never trusted a word out of a mental exercise. Something moved you. Holy Spirit came on you. It disturbed you. you something felt upset or pulled or enraptured or in love. Something went on. It's not by feeling, it's by faith. See, we have, to, we have to substitute when we don't have that wonderful presence. And we form doctrines and we say these things were for the early church, not for our time. We've got the word. We've got, we've got that which is perfect has come. Well, by the way, our translators are still struggling over getting certain definitions of words. I don't know in this day and age that it's helped us knowing that we've had the perfect word. Don't misunderstand me. I believe in the plenary inspiration, you know, of the, of the, of the Scripture, the divine inspiration of Scripture, absolutely, 100%. But that which is perfect has come. Perhaps Paul was leaning towards the climax of the ages when the mature church meets, or the mature bride meets the mature bridegroom. And there's no more need for all this like this. But isn't it interesting that this dimension of which we talk of singing and worship and touching God and presence and spirit, that has apparently, when the curtain pulls and you look into the book of Revelation, isn't it the fourth chapter, you know? You go in and there's song and there's worship. And it seems to me to be that somewhere in the spiritual singing, we're entering already into eternal realms. And it seems to me to be that somehow, some way, that in a meeting when we get lost in the Lord, time goes by. Now, Patty and I were born in a revival. The latter rain revival hit New Zealand massively. The good thing about it in New Zealand, New Zealand was isolated. It's a little exclamation mark on the bottom of the world. Forgive me. It's so, so far away. Things can touch New Zealand. They get room 
to develop to a certain level of spiritual you know, consequence or maturity. And the, 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 when the latter rain and the Pentecostal movements came to New Zealand, they didn't fight. They found one another. And the singing in the Spirit was, in our culture, the moment we stepped into the Spirit-filled culture, and blending that with some of the great indigenous uh, uh, singing of the South Sea Island uh, Polynesian Maori, like my wife is, you, you had a very soft, lilting sound. and The churches were filled with worship. And we would go to this meeting in the horticultural hall in Christchurch, you know, the city that had the the earthquake. And we go to this meeting and the, there would, might be three choruses which you sang 5,000 times, like second verse, same as the first. <laughs> but each time you sang it, you weren't wearing it out. You were just getting it. You were just getting it. It's like the truth of what you were. And a lot of them were scripture in song. And the distilling of the truth was dropping into, I know, I, 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 it's an exercise I've, I've done for myself as I have a, a blue underline in my online Bible. And every time I strike one of those texts that we used to sing, I've I got hundreds of scriptures that I quote or the Spirit can bring back to me because of those days. But we sang like this and then we would get into singing in the Spirit. And when the singing in the Spirit went, I'm telling you, without, a, without any extension of the truth at all, <laughs> we'd go for 40 minutes to an hour, singing in the Spirit. And you would roll into this great wave would just come through the meeting of singing. The place would just go through the roof. There was another sound. There was a, some of the latter rain people used to call it the heavenly choir. There was another sound. Oh, it was human voices, but it was like there was a sound. A beautiful harmonized sound. And it would just it would just lift the place and you're enthralled. You were you were you were engaged. Worship is the gateway of revelation. You 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 saw God in a sense, you know, imaginative, but you saw God. You, you heard God. The prophetic stirred, and, and you didn't know how to prophesy, but you found yourself thinking and saying things that the preacher later on got up, and you had half had his sermon in your head. And then I learned to prophesy out of this because I learned to realize that was the prophetic spirit. Singing in the spirit worships the gateway of vision and gateway of Prophecy, doorway of prophecy. We would sing. And then when that would just tailor off around the front in those days, set up like David's tabernacle with some 30 or 40 singers. Now, they weren't choir. They were singers. There were people who had were recognized prophetic gift in song. Like Asaph. Like Jeduthun. Like Chenaniah in the story as you read from 1 Chronicles 15 on. And all these singers would be there. And their job was to, to pray during the week because on that day, on the Sunday when we were worshiping and we got into that space and into that place where the presence was filling the house, it was anticipated that they would carry that singing in the Spirit through with bringing the prophetic song. And when the lull came outward, you would hear a voice on one side. And this prophetic song would come. Quite short, never that long. Usually scripture of some kind, some kind of encouragement from the Lord. And when that voice quieted, quiet another one popped up over here, thematically consistent. 
And then another one, and then another one. And then the place would get so excited, it would rise again and singing in the spirit. And so there was like the holy drown out and the singers just basically regressed back to their worship and, and involvement. And then when that roll of tide went down again, up somebody else would begin. And it went on and on and on. By the time the preachers got up, sometimes they were, based, they were wasted. They would say, there's the message. There's the message. What am I doing to you tonight? I just feel we do not know the potential of this wonderful capacity of singing in the Spirit. We do not know, really, we don't think about the potential of tongues to take us in. I don't know whether my, oh, it did. This, this is my icon. It's a pilot light. It's a pilot light. You know, we're in church and you want me to read a scripture. And because I'm absolutely 100% committed to the word of God, I'm going to read two scriptures. But they're basically saying the same thing. And they're one-sentence scriptures. Okay. 2 Timothy 1. Verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Paul, you know, in the ongoing of the text, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he was familiar with a gift that was in Timothy of whom on occasions he had to say, hey, Timothy, stir it up, get moving, be bold. God's not giving you a spirit of fear. So maybe Timothy was timid, but he had a gift. I better read the other text because my things have only got 3% left. 1 Thessalonians 5, so that was 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. You know it. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, the Passion Translation. Every church has a number of passion fanatics. I'm one of them. Never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. This is pilot light. You got your gas burner at home. You got your furnace. You maybe even have a, a gas heater. There's a little blue flame. It's got to be kept blue. It needs an adjustment if it's yellow. It's got to have enough intensity in it. So when you turn on the valve and the gas hits, the whole thing begins to rumble and roar. A pilot light. Let's burst the gift into flame. I want to suggest to you tonight, whether it's explicit in the text, but I think personally, when you have the gift of God in you, when the Holy Spirit is resident within, I think speaking in tongues, that resident miraculous dimension 
is a pilot light. It doesn't go out. It's not periodic. I have to say with most of the other functions of the, you know, in terms of the gift, in my experience, they're periodic. They're according to the need at the situation, and sometimes I don't have it because he gives severally to whom he will. But with the prayer language, it's resident. It's in me. And there's not a day or time or a moment when if, if, if I exert the knobs, <laughs> if I turn things on, it somehow can burst a gift into flame. Now, just go with my metaphor, even if it's not perfect on the, on the text. Because I've talked before about how tongues, in order that you prophesy, in order that you heal, in order that, in terms of the Hena clause there in First Corinthians in chapter 14, but that tongues, that singing in the spirit, that little pilot light, make sure it's blue hot. Keep it blue hot. Don't let it go yellow. And if it's gone out, we need a technician. We, we, you know, we really need a, somebody to come in and fix this up. And I'm not here as the, the technician. I'm perhaps just here as a little bit of an inspection. <laughs> not really. Not judgmentally anyway. But here to encourage you, keep that burner burning. Keep, keep your spirit singing. Love that song at the beginning. Because that pilot light sitting there waiting for you to get active in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And I, I looked at Pastor Bill's you know, encouragement or mandate for me on this time. And I know the whole desire is to see a church that is active in the gifts of the Spirit. He made some comment about how in our church we seem to have a a good number of people functional in gifts. Well, I've got to say, coming in here and listening to you singing in the Spirit, there's lots of good pilot lights going. This is good. You've, you've come a long way. You, 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 are, you are a really good Spirit-filled church. You've got the essence of being able to do it. And what we've got to do perhaps over the next uh, three meetings and heading to a big point on Sunday night, but you know, I, think, I think what we've got to do is get, get active. Get you active. Get us functional. But let's get that pilot light thing happening. Let's be tongues talkers. Let's be spirit singers. Let's, let's have spirit song. Okay, we've got hill song. We've got Phil song. Let's have spirit song. Hallelujah. Don't let that pilot light go out. Let's get that flame happening. So can I have that band back up? Thank you, Lord. And so in our journey as we were young, we got baptized in the Holy Spirit And nothing ever has been more important to the spirit life shift than speaking in tongues. Now, I know perhaps there might be some. Just at the right time it went off, see that? I know perhaps there might be some here tonight 
who don't have a strong spirit-filled background of teaching uh, or maybe even experience but you kind of like what's here because it's different because you know this place is loaded you know you feel the presence I think it's because there's a lot of pilot lights. There's spirit activating in people's lives, ready to activate gifts of the spirit. And, and you could be, I don't mean indecisive, but you could be kind of blessed that this place isn't a ranting, raving, force it on you place. Because of the the pastoral nature of those that lead and the maturity of the house. You can find a home in this atmosphere. But I, I want to call you up and call you on to an overflowing experience of the Holy Spirit. To, to where you have your own personal history and no substitutions. And you're not even leaning on somebody else. You know, you can't franchise out your experience of God. You have to have your own. Someone can't have it for you. Not really. You know, honey, could you pray in tongues for me for this? This something will happen because it's praying and you're talking to God and the Holy Spirit's involved. But if you could interpret the tongue, it's probably, you know, praying, get that person, you know, get, get the other honey filled <laughs> because I think God wants everybody in the church to be filled to overflowing and I think the rivers will flow out of the city out into the church out of the church into the city as the church is filled with the Holy Ghost so your Holy Spirit conference every year is a genius idea from the genius himself because a church that just takes the moment and even your preparatory meetings, you're shifting heart and mind and desire towards the Spirit. And you're opening and you're saying, come. How about we stand?